People don't rise from the dead, do they? It's obvious, really, isn't it? I mean, we know it from common sense. Dead is dead by definition. If you live again, you're not really dead. So people can't live again after they're dead. People don't rise from the dead. We know from science, if you conduct an experiment, take a hundred dead bodies and wait and see if any, any of them come back to life, you'll be waiting a while and you'll find that each time you repeat that experiment, people stay dead. So science proves that people don't rise from the dead. We also know it from our experience, not that you've died or not that I've died and experienced death that way, but we've experienced death through people that we know who have died. My father-in-law died five years ago. We haven't seen him since. My grandfather died two and a half years ago. We haven't seen him since either. We know it from common sense. People don't rise from the dead. We know it from science. We know it from experience. So, if people don't rise from the dead, then surely Jesus did not rise from the dead. It's logical, isn't it? That's, that's a, a rational conclusion to make, isn't it? People don't rise from the dead, therefore, Jesus did not rise from the dead. And if that's the case, then Christianity is hard to believe from the outset, isn't it? Because, you see, Christianity is founded upon this event of Jesus rising from the dead. And if he didn't rise from the dead, then Christianity cannot be true. And in fact, the Bible itself says that. In this part of the Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. So this is the way many people think, and, and perhaps some of you here today think this way. People don't rise from the dead, therefore Jesus can't have risen from the dead, therefore Christianity cannot be true. Now, there's logic there, and, and that makes sense. But I, what I'd like to suggest to you today is that we look at the beginning point again, that first presupposition, people don't rise from the dead. Now, as I said, we believe that because of our common sense, science, our experience, because of the way, basically, we see the world. Our worldview leads us to believe that people don't rise from the dead. But what if our worldview, what if our view of the world was not quite right? Or what if our view of the world could be challenged or changed? You know, what if in your worldview, your view of the world, you could allow room for the existence of God? And what if you could allow enough room in your worldview for the existence of an all-powerful God? A God who could, if he wanted to, raise the dead. I mean, if you allow for that in your worldview, then all of a sudden, everything changes, doesn't it? the way you see the world, the way you answer the questions I've been answering, asking, all of that potentially changes. Depends on where you start and what your worldview is. And the thing about worldviews is that they can change. I don't know if you've ever experienced a sudden great shift in the way you've seen the world, but it has happened to people. It's happened to whole societies. 
And sometimes it's unsettling, sometimes it's hard to take because it, it quite literally turns your world upside down. When I think of changing worldviews, I'm sometimes reminded of the 16th century astronomer Nicolaus Copernicus, who I'm sure you know all about. Copernicus was the first to advance the theory that the Earth revolves around the Sun. Whereas everyone else in his day believed that the Sun revolved around the Earth. Now, Copernicus was out of step with everyone in his age. People thought he was mad. And they had good reason to. Why did they think this way? Why did they have a worldview that said the sun revolved around the earth? Well, they, they knew it from common sense. Because of course the sun revolves around the earth. The sun serves the earth. The sun provides light and, and heat to the earth, shapes our days and our seasons. So the sun is there to serve the earth. So of course the sun revolves around it. It makes sense. It's common sense. They also knew it from science. Because every scientist in Copernicus's day, apart from Copernicus, believed that the sun revolved around the earth. It was unanimous in the scientific community. The sun revolved around the earth. They knew it from science. They knew it from common sense. And they knew it from experience. Because the way we experience the sun is... You get up in the morning and you see it rise, don't you, at sunrise? And you see it cross the sky during the day and then you see it set at night. So in our experience, it really does feel like the sun is revolving around the earth, doesn't it? So in Copernicus's day, everyone believed the sun revolved around the earth and you know what? They were all wrong. Copernicus was right, and he alone. And it wasn't until well after his death that the rest of the world caught up with the way he saw the world. And now, all of us believe that the earth revolves around the sun. Our worldview, the whole way we see the world and our galaxy, is fundamentally different to the way it was seen 500 years ago. Our worldview has been shifted, it has been changed. Today I want to talk to you about three guys in the first century whose worldview was shifted. Now before I tell you more about them, let me say there, there are a few ways in which our worldview can be, can be shifted. It can be shifted by an idea, like Copernicus's idea, that the earth revolves around the sun, not the other way around. Our worldview can be altered by an experience. Many people who go through a, a a near-death experience, a test to seeing life with new eyes. They see the world in a different way. In fact, just last night I was watching Air Crash Investigations. Anyone watch that show? And uh, last night they had a rare special looking at survivors of, uh, of airplane crashes. And many of them, nearly all of them, said that that experience of nearly dying in, an, in a plane crash changed the way they thought about the world, changed the way they thought about their life. So an experience can change your view of the world, and an event could change your view of the world. When two planes crashed into the World Trade Center in New York City in September of 2001, 
Many people's view of the world changed instantly. So your worldview can be changed by an idea, it could be changed by an experience, it could be changed by an event. And the three people I want to talk to you about today had their worldview changed by an event. Let me read to you... Oh, that, that's Copernicus. Sorry, I forgot to put him up. I'm going to read to you from another part of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where the Apostle Paul writes about witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Let's read it. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Now, you might be able to guess from that who I'm going to be talking about. Peter, James, and Paul himself. Three men whose worldview was turned upside down by an event. And what I'll do very briefly is give you a snapshot, a kind of before and after snapshot of these three men. First we have Peter. Well, here's a picture of Peter taken from Matthew's Gospel. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you're one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. He was a man, though he'd been following Jesus for three years, though he was one of Jesus' best friends, he denies knowing Jesus. He's cowardly and he's a liar. Three times, bald-faced lies. I don't know the man. I have nothing to do with the man. I've never met the guy. And why does he say that? I take it it's because Jesus is in trouble and Peter does not believe that Jesus is who he thought he was. Peter thought Jesus was going to be the king of Israel. He thought Jesus was going to conquer the Romans and save Jerusalem. But now the Romans have arrested Jesus and they're going to crucify Jesus. So Peter realizes he's not who I thought he was. That's the before shot. Here's an after shot taken from Acts, the book of Acts. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were, that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. 
for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Peter was a cowardly liar who denied knowing Jesus and then he is boldly proclaiming Jesus and even in the face of the authorities who threaten him, who say, stop speaking of Jesus, he refuses. He will not be stopped. And he was not stopped until Nero stopped him in AD 64 by execution. What accounts for that transformation? The second figure I want to talk to you about is James. Now, James was the brother of Jesus. And let's just read here from Matthew's Gospel again. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary, and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. You can understand that, can't you? They're saying, isn't he Joe the carpenter's son? And you can understand why James, Jesus' brother, didn't believe in him. Because he grew up with him. It's just his brother, his older brother. The regular Joe. And then all of a sudden, at the age of 30, he starts saying weird things about himself, saying that he's the, the promised king of Israel and that he's going to die and rise again and doing bizarre things and attracting all these followers. And you would think, you know, I grew up with this guy. Who does he think? What's going on? He's lost the plot. You can understand why James was not a follower of Jesus. That was before. What about after? Then after three years, this is Paul again speaking uh, in the letter to the Galatians. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. James, Peter and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. We see here in, in Paul's description of James that he is now an apostle of the church. He's not just a follower of Jesus, he's one of the leaders of the followers of Jesus. In fact, James goes on to become the leader of the church in Jerusalem until he is killed by Jews in AD 62. He went from, that guy's just my brother, to being an apostle of the church. What accounts for that transformation? The third figure I want to talk to you about is Paul himself. Paul was a rising star in Judaism. Zealous, and he'd been given the job to destroy the Christian church. Let's read from Acts. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. 
While they were still stoning him, Stephen said, uh, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there, giving approval to his death. On that great day, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Saul's job was to destroy the church. And he was pretty good at it. That was before. After, he changed his name from Saul to Paul. And he became the greatest leader of the Christian church. He became the greatest missionary and evangelist of the Christian church in his day until he was killed by Nero in AD 60. We read about him in Acts and in this account he was before King Agrippa standing trial because the Jews want him killed. This is what he says. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. But I have had God's help to this very day, and so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. Paul went from being the greatest persecutor of Christians to being the greatest leader of Christians. I don't know if you realize how shocking that must have been in Paul's day. I'm not sure what a modern equivalent would be, but imagine, say, imagine Osama bin Laden becoming the President of the United States. It's that kind of shocking. It's that kind of ridiculous. What accounts for that transformation in Paul's life, in James's life, in Peter's life? Here are three men whose view of the world was shattered. Their world view was entirely changed. Why? Because they witnessed an event. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Can people rise from the dead? In your opinion? Well, I guess it depends on your worldview, doesn't it? If your worldview says people don't rise from the dead, then you're going to say, no, people can't rise from the dead. 
Did Jesus rise from the dead? Well, more than 500 people said, I saw it. And their lives were changed forever. And their testimony to what they saw has changed the lives of literally billions of people since. But you might be thinking, well, that's great, but, but I haven't seen it. If I saw it, then I'd believe it too. But something like that is so incredible that unless I see it with my own eyes, I, I just can't believe it. Well, if that's you, you're a bit like Thomas, a follower of Jesus who also did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Not at first. We read about him in John's Gospel. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. It's a beautiful passage because you see the instant in which Thomas's worldview is shattered, don't you? One moment, he does not believe that Jesus is Lord. He does not believe that Jesus is God. He believes Jesus is dead and buried. The next moment, his world is turned upside down. He gets on his knees and says to Jesus, My Lord and my God. His worldview is turned upside down because he met the risen Jesus. Now you still might be thinking, well, okay, but Thomas got to see him. I haven't. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you have to see something for yourself to believe that it happened? Of course not. Otherwise, most things that you learn about history you wouldn't believe. Or do you have to have seen something with your own eyes for an event to have changed the world? Because I take it, if an event changes the whole world, that's pretty good evidence that it actually happened, isn't it? Because it had such a massive influence. I didn't see the Nazis murder six million Jews. I wasn't there. I wasn't born. But I believe it happened because it changed the world. I didn't see the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. But I believe it happened because it changed the world. I didn't see Julius Caesar murdered by his friends. But I believe it happened because it changed the world. I didn't see the Romans crucify Jesus. But I believe it happened because it changed the world. 
I didn't see Jesus rise from the dead. But I believe it happened. Because it changed the world. The resurrection of Jesus changed the world. Whether you saw it or not. So maybe your view of the world needs to be altered. Maybe you need a different worldview. Because if Jesus did rise from the dead, your response and my response should be just like Thomas. We should get on our knees and say, my Lord and my God. Well, thanks for uh, listening to me today. I'm going to lead us in a prayer for a few minutes. Uh, Not even that long. A few seconds. A very simple prayer, just asking that God would help us to think about these things and to be honest with each other as we talk about these things. Would you join me in prayer? Dear God, we thank you for the opportunity in this country and at this time and place to talk about things that really matter. And we pray that as we talk about these things and as we think about these things, you'd help us to be honest, you'd help us to think clearly, and we pray that you would lead us into all truth. Amen.